Jeremy, thanks for asking great questions. I'm having so much fun with this. <laughs> so in a word, we make good art and mm. we tell good stories. Wow. And I'll, I'll unpack that with a little example. Um, Queen's Gambit played on Netflix. Mm -hmm. And after Queen's Gambit finished playing on Netflix, everyone was playing chess. It was hip to play chess again. Chess sales were up mm. 350%. A 37-year-old book was a bestseller again. People were traveling with little mini chess sets or learning and challenging and asking their grandparents. And uh, the, the, the parable that we take from that is if you want to change culture, you don't make a new set of rules. You don't tell people all the ways that they have failed. You make good art and you tell good stories. Hey, and welcome back to the All Things All People podcast. All Things All People exists to raise up generations of Christian thinkers to understand and reach the world around them with the transformative message of the gospel. Simply put, we want to teach Christians how to think like a Christian. And today you are joining in for a phenomenal episode with someone who is definitely going to be one of your new favorite people. And that is Sarah Yardley. But first, let me tell you one quick thing. We have some amazing guests coming up, um, including Sarah on today's episode. But something new in the life of all things, all people is April 5th we are launching our first pop-up shop and we are going to have uh, some merchandise for you to check out some uh, christian thinker think like a christian merch so plan circle april 5th on your calendar um, we're also dropping an episode there's no reason to keep it secret uh, because i've posted about it on social media but we're also dropping an episode that day with felicia masonheimer who's an amazing uh social media influence I don't want to say influencer because like that word carries some bad connotations but like she's a huge influence in the world of Christian social media so we're dropping an episode with her on April 5th and coinciding with that is the first all things all people pop-up shop so circle that date on your calendar check that out and make sure to tell your friends about it if you haven't reviewed the show Go do that on, on Apple Podcasts. Uh, tell somebody about the show. Go back and listen to some of the amazing guests that we have had, um, that we've been privileged to have on this show. It really has blown me away. We are, we will be coming up in June on one year of the All Things All People podcast. And in my humble opinion, uh, we have had a great start to the show and greater days ahead. And so I'm just excited that you're here for it. I'm excited that you're a part. I'm excited that you're going to get to listen to Sarah Yardley. Now, Sarah Yardley is, uh, as you're going to hear me say, uh, a girl from uh, Costa Mesa, Southern California, now living in Cornwall, England. Um, she is the director of Creation Fest, a huge Christian event every year in England. Um, but how she got there is pretty amazing and how she views the world and how she views evangelism is a fresh look and it's something that I think a lot of people, especially younger people, are really going to resonate um, and I'm excited for you to hear it. So make sure to go check out Sarah's um, information in the show notes, follow her on Instagram, check out Creation Fest and their website. And we have a lot of listeners in the UK. If you live in the UK and you don't know about Creation Fest or you haven't been, make sure to check it out. They are going to be doing it this summer and that's going to be an amazing thing. If ever I can get out to England in the summertime, I will make sure to take part in Creation Fest. But until then, I'll have to just... Um, you know, settle for this episode, this podcast with our Christian thinker for this week, Sarah Yardley. My next guest is a Californian based in Cornwall in the UK who loves Jesus, family, friendships, coffee, travel, and guacamole. She grew up at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, served at Reality Carpentria, and currently lives in the United Kingdom, serving full-time with Creation Fest UK, where the mission is that those who don't know Jesus would meet him and that the church would be encouraged in faith and unity. Most years, around 10,000 people who attend Creation Fest get that opportunity 
thanks to the work of her and her phenomenal team. Personally, she loves discovering what it means to follow Jesus and inviting others to know and follow him. It is my dear honor to have on the show today, Sarah Yardley. Sarah, thank you so much for making time for this. Jeremy, it has been a treat already, and we've only just pressed record. Thank yeah. you so much for having me here. Well, um, so I I explained to you how I came across you, and, and anybody who listens to the show knows that I have a great respect for Calvary Chapel and Costa Mesa, and especially Pastor Brian Broderson. And so seeing you on social media leading Creation Fest and just having the amazing ministry that you have personally... Um, it really is exciting to have you on the show, but I, I think what I want to broach first before we get into any business is this. Um, I very much enjoyed, I think it was a few months ago, seeing you chronicle the fact that you climbed Mount Kilimanjaro and you have this wonderful, vibrant social media where I don't know if I'm going to see just a personal uh, you know, story of yours or you drinking tea or you telling a story from sharing your faith with somebody that you meet on the street or climbing one of the tallest mountains on planet earth. So, so uh, what, what have the last months been like and especially what led you to just kind of say, you know what, I'm just going to go and do something completely. I don't know that it's out of character, but it, it was, it was out of character for, um, for a year like the one we've had going and doing something so exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's kind of the best humble brag in the universe, isn't it? Oh, that one yeah. time that I climbed Kilimanjaro mm -hmm. or, oh, pardon, my boots are dirty. There must be some dust from when I climbed Kilimanjaro. Yeah. Uh, so this, this last year in 2020, everyone's yeah. lives was turned slightly upside down. And one of the things that came out of it for me was instead of running a 10,000 person large scale event in Cornwall, mm -hmm. we paused. And we mm -hmm. took a breath. And for me, that looked like taking five months for leadership development. And mm -hmm. the incredible thing about that was for the first time in 20 years of life and ministry, I wasn't in charge of anybody else's spiritual life. Yes. And none of us should ever be. The gospel isn't that we're the saviors. The gospel is that Jesus is the savior. But you find yourself when you've been in leadership of some sort for a long time, carrying bits and pieces and being the person that people come to. And so I took a chunk of time and stepped away from all of my other responsibilities. And in August of 2020, I climbed and hiked the whole Cornish coast. Mm -hmm. Now, that sounds like a really lovely thing. And people kind of envision Poldark or About Time, one of the, the classic Cornish films. Right, yeah. But it's actually 422 miles of fairly rugged coastline mm -hmm. and all the parables of the bruising and the woundings and the healings and the walking. And man, it was a beautiful and, and raw experience. Mm -hmm. And so at the end of that, I wish that I had some great strategy to tell you, but basically here's what it came down to. The only country in the world that I could get into and out of without a series of expensive tests was Tanzania. Mm -hmm. I had enough airline miles to go to Tanzania for 30 pounds in and 200 pounds out. Mm -hmm. And I just realized I'm 37 years old. I'm not going to get into much better shape than I am right now. <laughs> sure. yeah. We won't say that I peaked, but we'll, we'll just say that this is, this is where I'm at. I, I have the same feeling pretty much every day of my life right now. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, and kind of the, the, the seal on the deal or, or the, uh, the real confirmation. And this one is actually a beautiful one. Is I thought, well, people who climb Kilimanjaro, they usually do it for a charity of some sort. And so I called some really dear friends of mine who are in Ethiopia. They lead an orphanage called Ebenezer Grace. They literally rescue babies out of trash cans mm -hmm. and uh, bring them new life. I called them and said, I'm thinking of climbing Kilimanjaro in three weeks. Um, would you want me to raise some money for you? And they said, Sarah, we've literally just had a trustee meeting because we need money to build a new building to house about 40 new orphans that God's given us this great piece of land for. And we wanted to run a campaign for the last week of October. And we weren't sure what that should be. Yes, we would love it mm. if you would do something um, that would raise awareness. And as a beautiful little sidebar, I was able to raise um, just under 7,000 pounds for them, which was incredible. And it was one of those beautiful moments where in many ways, as is the story of my life, I unconsciously stumbled into this grand and beautiful plan of God and climbing Kilimanjaro was one of the best mm -hmm. and worst experiences of my life. <laughs> I, mm -hmm. I learned all the parables of summit places and the, th the things we sacrifice for, the, the things that cost us, and then just finding the presence of God in the midst of all of it. 
Yeah. You just a couple of days ago, I think I, I, I could be wrong here, but you mentioned that on some post somewhere about um, or I, maybe I was even reading one of the old ones, but you mentioned that the, the feeling of not being in charge of somebody else's spiritual development for a prolonged amount of time. And I turned to my wife and I, I sort of lamented and said, okay, so she understands because for, for many people, you um, more than most being over an event where, like we said, most years, 2020 withstanding, you see around 10,000 people come in and you feel, I'm sure at least some responsibility for the spiritual stewardship of these people. And myself and many other pastors read that statement and go, okay, that's, that's exactly how I felt. And I didn't even, I didn't even know it. So this year in this pandemic year where Creation Fest did a phenomenal thing, rebounded and, and did this uh, Creation Fest on air, which was putting out digital media. And it was really, really well done. Very good. Um, and I enjoyed it personally. But um, are you, though, whether it be a year of putting out digital content as opposed to in person and climbing mountains and being on lockdown and all that, are you still, though, looking forward, though, to saying, OK, I've had my time. Let's let's get back to seeing 10,000 people and all that. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I've really tried to avoid the phrase, let's get back to normal. Yeah. Because in many ways, the gospel calls us to something utterly different to that. Mm -hmm. um, just to kind of pick up on the first part of that question, the beauty of those five months was just intimacy with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing new that I'll say there that I wouldn't have even said before, mm -hmm. but it was that time to just say, you, you call us to seek your face, Lord. And I say your face, Lord, I will seek. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that that's been a heartbeat of my soul for at least 15 years of my life in ministry, but it just was rooted and deeper than I've ever experienced before mm -hmm. that, that everything is going to flow out of intimacy with Christ or to say it the way that my friend Tyler Staten says it, everything in our lives is an invitation for intimacy with Jesus. And so as a leader, I am more passionate than ever before that I can't just say, I'll pray about that. Yeah. And I can't just name, oh, I'm doing this out of love for God. It must be this deeply formed reality that in the secret place, in the private place, and in, in the place that no one else will ever see or know, that the deep fruit of what God springs up in our hearts comes from that place of intimacy with Christ. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a lesson that we learn over and over and over again in different ways. It's, it's much like grace, isn't it? We think somehow we've understood grace and then we discover in new ways, oh, I'm a great sinner mm -hmm. and Jesus is a great savior and his grace is towards me. And so then pivoting to think about how we live that out in life and ministry I think that there's a couple of practical things that I've really leaned into in this season. Uh, the first and foremost is that if I'm not spending time with Jesus, that's just to spend time with Jesus, mm -hmm. then I am too busy. Mm -hmm. And so the continual decision as we look at calendars and schedules and planning is how can all of this flow out of that place of deep, intimate relationship with Christ? Mm -hmm. And then I really feel that there's a season of new creativity bubbling up. Mm. that rather than us say we'll do everything the way we have in the past that, that the holy spirit who is always moving over the face to deep places of our lives mm. is moving in ways that are transformative and radical and i'll just share a couple examples of what that has looked like so when i came back to the uk i like many others um was weary of zoom yeah <laughs> and I thought, goodness, there, there's too much Zoom happening. I, I think I'm just frustrated and tired of this. And I started praying that God would give me a transformative um, vision for what it might look like to connect digitally. And one of the ways that that has happened is I connected with this group of young people who started out with six of them meeting once every once in a while to pray together. And it has grown to become a group of 60 to 80 young people who meet on Zoom every night of the week, Monday through Friday, mm. and they are praying, worshiping, reading scripture, demonstrating and exercising the gifts of the spirit, mm -hmm. praying for, with each other for healing, praying with each other for prophetic giftings. And one of my favorite moments, they let me join. I'm, I was like the old person who <laughs> they let join the call because it is completely led by this younger generation. They let me join for one of the nights and, and, and are hungry for some spiritual mentorship from the older leaders that they know. And on that night, one of the young men said, well, I don't have much context of scripture or the Bible, but I was praying and I asked God would give me a picture. And the picture that he gave me was that there's many parts to the body 
and that all of them are somehow necessary and that maybe my part might not feel like it's as important, but that it's still a part of what God is doing. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that picture is from God? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I just, we, we, you know, laugh because we, we know what a beautiful demonstration of 1 Corinthians and the passages yeah. lived out. Um, but I, I give that as a picture of many examples I could give of some of the new and creative ways that I'm seeing the spirit of God at work. Mm-hmm. And I believe that much of what that looks like for those of us who are established leaders is to step back a little bit from the pressing concerns and weights and isolation and weariness of this moment and just say, Spirit of God, what are you doing? What, what does the creative work of your spirit look like for us? And then with what I can do, what's the maximum that I believe God might call me to in this moment? And then just asking for the faith and the vision to step into that in ways that will impact this generation for the gospel. Yeah, that's so tremendous. And you said something at the very beginning of, of that, and then just only continue to reinforce it. And, and it's something that whether it be uh, mentoring younger people, or even just in the quiet of your own time with the Lord, you said, I'm not going to say anything new here. Um, it, and it's, it's so interesting because I, f- I think that you are a great example of this is like, you get to a point where you can't say anything new that you haven't already said, but to you, it means something new as your relationship with Christ grows deeper and deeper. So you might continue to say, oh, isn't he good? Or, you know, uh, any, any of those really eloquent things you just said, but it's like, do you, is that really where your passion lies? And when you're, when you're sharing with those young people on zoom or 10,000 people at creation fest or somebody you meet on the street that it's like, I can't even explain to you just how good this is. And I might even use the same words for the next 10 years, but in 10 years, I will actually mean it more. And, and that's what I see from you. I see this very, um, deep love of Christ that it seems like, I don't know. It just seems like everything you do, you're trying to explain that. And it's almost like you just have to experience it for yourself. I think one of the beautiful realities of just living and walking with Jesus is that he gives us a new vocabulary. Mm -hmm. And it's beautiful to hear you articulate that because that is something I've prayed for. Mm -hmm. So 15 years ago, I went on a round the world trip and my sister and I went to 43 countries together. It was my first experience outside of the United States of America. Mm -hmm. And I realized a few startling things. One, not everyone loves Americans. That was a real right. culture shock yeah, for me. Right, yeah. <laughs> in uh, 2021, that's not new news for anyone. No. Two, not everyone loves Jesus. Yeah. And having grown up in a robust Christian home and culture, I just had never encountered the reality of, of a world in which faith is often expressed within creative minority, to borrow the phrase of John Tyson. Mm-hmm. Um, and thirdly, I, I realized. I did not have the vocabulary to bridge the truth into the cultures in which I was stepping. Had a transformative moment in South Africa where I used a phrase that I won't use on this podcast Mm -hmm. that's overly Christian kid. And the the man opposite me just looked and said, what the are you talking about? Mm -hmm. Um, And I realized I I needed a vocabulary that would bridge faith into culture. Mm -hmm. And so even just hearing you say that reminds me of this beautiful prayer that I've prayed for years. And you've heard me say this before, but one of my favorite quotes is from Blaise Pascal. Mm -hmm. And he says, make the truth beautiful, make Mm -hmm. good men and women wish it were true, and then show that it is. And so I'm always seeking, even with the words that I proclaim, to find ways to make the truth beautiful, to paint the story of Jesus in such a way that the men and women I encounter wish that it could be true and that our lives would be living and enacted parables of the gospel. And I think you do a phenomenal job. You're one of the more eloquent people that I I see on a regular basis, putting stuff out on social media and you you just have a way with words. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why um, it is so great that you are in the position that you're in with creation fest mission and ministry lead. Um, and you know, just doing phenomenal work, but your story is, is fairly interesting. And I told you before show, I said, usually when I talk to somebody who's from the, in the UK, they're from the UK. Um, so what was the, what was the path that got you to where you are right now? Because I think that's, it's an, is a story that you don't find. Um, not a lot of California girls end up leading ministries in the United Kingdom that are reaching 
English people. So it's, it's a phenomenally interesting story to me. So, so what, what was that like and how did you end up there in Cornwall doing what you do? Yeah, it, it is. It's a beautiful story. And I think I'm more and more appreciating it myself as well. So I grew up in Orange County, California. And in my 20s, I spent half of my 20s working in Christian publishing. And so had the great joy of working with a, a distribution house that enabled me to enact with and engage uh, all sorts of learning around Christian reading, writing and thinking. Mm -hmm. And then spent the latter half of my 20s leading mission teams in ways that engaged with young people in other countries and uh, spent that kind of last five years taking 500 young people on their first ever out of country missional experience, yeah. which often also ended up being really formative for them spiritually as well. Right. And really engaged me with journeying with people through finding God's big and beautiful story, finding their own story and their place within it. Uh, and have some phenomenal both friendships and life lessons that I learned during that period. And I started visiting the UK every summer from 2009, but I didn't ever dream that I would live there. Mm -hmm. uh, in my head, it was kind of this beautifully quaint, slightly whimsical queens and castles and cups of tea and yeah. the most darling accents, uh, you know, but very naive in some ways about what real life was like in, in England. And because my primary focal point in those visits was a large scale Christian event, mm -hmm. I was also seeing one window, one, one small lens into life in the UK. And summer of 2014, I came over just planning to be here for the summer, had my little suitcase of summer clothing mm -hmm. and woke up and land, landed and, and then woke up the next morning to the news that the previous director of Creation Fest had passed away quite suddenly the night before. Yeah. And like many leaders who are strong and charismatic, he was such a force that no one could ever picture replacing him. Mm -hmm. And definitely no one could picture replacing him with the single 30-year-old California girl who prior to this led missions teams and mm -hmm. uh, through dance parties in the streets. I mean, it was not necessarily the natural choice on a few mm -hmm. different levels. And in that period of time leading up to the event itself, um, I went to read my Bible in Plymouth. I, I read my Bible every day and I was reading in Isaiah at that passage of time, portion of time. And I read Isaiah 49, which said that God's calling is to you from the coastlands, mm -hmm. from the body of your mother. He has named you by name. He's made his word in your mouth like a sharp sword. And he's called you to bring light to the nations and salvation to the ends of the earth. And if anyone's listening doesn't know, Cornwall is a coastal county. Mm -hmm. It is right. absolutely beauty. And um, I wrote in my Bible, God, are you calling me to Cornwall? But with a bunch of question marks. Two weeks later at the main festival event, someone came to pray for me and they prayed that exact fairly obscure passage of scripture over wow. me. God, we thank you for Sarah. We thank you for calling us to the coastlands. We thank you that from the body mm -hmm. of your mother, you've named her by name. And in quick domino, without going into too much detail, that story, just it was confirmed over and over again. Someone came up and said, hey, we'd love to support you financially. Someone else came up and said, we just feel like we've been praying for you and that God says you're meant to stay. It just, it was over mm -hmm. and over yeah. everywhere I looked. And I think God made it that clear because it was quite radical. Most mm -hmm. people who move yeah. missionally to another country, like pray about it and prepare for it. Mm -hmm. I just stayed. Yeah. I stayed for six months in the country that I'd gone to for three weeks. Um, and, and I've learned so much along the seven years of my life here. Mm -hmm. It's George Bernard Shaw who famously said England and America are separated by a common language. Mm -hmm. So I thought that I would rent an apartment, but rather it's a flat. I still say I'll take out the trash and it should be the rubbish. Uh, <laughs> I always think I'm walking on the sidewalk, but it turns out it's the pavement. Mm -hmm. And as it turns out, I've not yet met the queen, but uh, Prince uh, Charles and I have had a lovely moment together. So wow. some of the <laughs> ideal moments do exist. And then some moments are much less glamorous than that. Mm -hmm. And one of the, the really beautiful parts of living in another country is that you begin to experience an identity shift. That means that you're not known and loved for your history or your past or your family relationships, but you begin to find your deeper identity just as beloved daughter of God in ways mm. that for me have been really radical. Mm. Um, and there's a, a preacher named Sam Wells. He leads St. Martin's of the Fields. And he says that the disciples, when Jesus called them, they were called to the other side. Mm. 
They were called to leave their places of comfort and security. And perhaps when we leave to go to the other side, we are closer to what Jesus envisioned for discipleship all the way along. And I found that in so many ways, there's nothing I have lost, although there is much that I have lost. There's nothing I have lost that hasn't been redeemed already tenfold for the sake of the kingdom of God and mm. only can imagine more in eternity. Yeah. And it's, I, it's this wonderful picture and, and you make it sound so real, but at the same time, so, so, um, exceptional too, of going to the coastlands and, and, and yeah, being something that most missionaries, I don't know if you even consider, it's like, you consider yourself a missionary, I know, but at the same time, it's like, that's just not how it normally goes. And it's maybe even it's how it's going to be more often in the future, because you're not going to say, I'm going to reach the people of Cornwall. It's like, they've had churches longer than, than we had in the U S but instead you came to, to do a job. You came to lead this particular this particular ministry in the process of the last seven years, what, what experiences met, what are there mentors? Are there even, you know, books or something that have just shaped the way you think that have made you feel uh, equipped and capable and even excited. Cause I know that you're tremendously excited to do the work that the Lord's brought you to, but what, what really influenced you um, and made you as confident as you are? That's a fantastic question. And one of the great perils here is you've asked me about books and I could mm -hmm. just, we could go off on books for hours. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I'm sure that that's the, the can of worms that most of your guests will be delighted to springboard into. In some ways, I, I, I include my last almost seven years now in England into a couple of different chapters. So right. the first chapter, the first two years were the years of loneliness. And in those two years, I was stripped of so many of my relationships, so much of my identity. There's a big stereotype around church in England. And as you said, there's been hundreds, decades, centuries yeah. of, of investment in the life of following Jesus in England. So with great humility, I recognize I'm walking into an already legacy. I don't tend to use the word missionary as my primary calling card, but I also don't avoid it because yeah. I am someone who's lived in another country and then moved to another one for the sake of the gospel. Mm -hmm. um, but in those first two years, I really experienced a deep sense of loneliness and identity loss and shift. And in those places, I think I really needed to experience that because the stereotype of church as old, cold, dead, and boring mm -hmm. that exists in this country, mm -hmm. I needed to experience a little bit of that longing and that waiting and in those periods of time, I would say I was most influenced by the writings of Henri Nouwen and Frederick Beekner and Brennan Manning, mm -hmm. alongside many other rich teachers who spoke to me quite deeply about the fact that servant leadership done in the name of Jesus is the lifelong calling of the follower of Jesus. Mm -hmm. The second chapter then would be perhaps the chapter of learning. And one of the things that's a huge part of my journey in the UK was just the invitation to publicly proclaim the gospel. And I very quickly realized that I was being given opportunities that were beyond what I had learned and that I needed to surround myself with formational leaders. I would love to say that I had one single mentor, right. but I think in the kindness of Jesus, he gave me many. Mm. And so I asked, actually, I've asked six people to be my mentor and not yet have any of them had the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> do you remember that old book? Are you my mother? I've yeah. been like, are you my mentor? Yeah. <laughs> um, but in that season of learning, I'll just commend that God connected me with such rich church leaders mm -hmm. and none of them could give me regular time, but many of them gave me consistent ability to pick up the phone and call them and invest. Yeah. And so I invested in a, a theological education from St. Melitus mm -hmm. and that was formational in just giving me a more generous view of the gospel and the kingdom of God. And then there were specific leaders who opened doors for me. And I'll name a couple of them. My dear friend, Andy Frost with mm -hmm. Share Jesus International, he just opened doors for me to sit in rooms and be at tables where I was like a hungry sponge gleaning mm -hmm. every bit of wisdom that I could. And in those places, 
what God began to give me was a vision for the gospel that was bigger than my own experience because I began to see in that second chapter of learning, here are the beautiful ways that people are demonstrating and announcing the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. I want to enter in to the Kairos moment, to the work of God that's already happening. And in those places of learning, I was soaking up as much as I could while also being invited to give out, to begin to speak and share my testimony and speak of who Jesus is and often uh, build bridges in ways that were unconscious. Mm -hmm. Because in that two-year period, I preached at Baptist, Anglican, Methodist, Free Methodist, Assemblies of God, Elam, Mm -hmm. Apostolic, even the occasional Seventh-day Adventist church Mm -hmm. that I didn't research properly. (laughs) I found that in that time, I would come and just open scripture Mm -hmm. and speak of the living word of God and the God who loves us. And because I was passionate about intergenerational ministry and passionate about seeing the word of God preached simply because of my Calvary Chapel church background, Mm -hmm. because I had all of these things. And I believe the spirit is at work for today, but that the way that he moves is in ways that are winsome, which is a word we spoke about earlier. Mm -hmm. I I found that every door opened another door. Mm -hmm. And I would love to say I was strategic in that time, but I was unconscious. It just was, if there was a door in front of me, I was willing to walk through it. Mm -hmm. And then that third chapter, which is the one I, I am in right now, is the one where I would say I've had named over me and I am able now to name these are the ways that my life and calling can be a gift to the church. Mm-hmm. And I think in so many ways for some of my spiritual journey, I mixed up humility and insecurity. Wow. Yeah. So I would, I would say, Oh, that's so nice of you to say that. I know I can't believe you did. I can't believe. And I, I drew attention to myself. Mm-hmm. So as I've walked longer with Jesus, I, always want to be a person of humility, but I also want to be confident in saying, this is the God who I serve. And this is the mission he has called me to. And I don't want to conflate the fact that my insecurity will never glorify my King. Mm -hmm. The reality is that we're called to be confident proclaimers of the gospel of God. And I see that in scripture to choose a few of the women of scripture. I see it in the life of Deborah, the Mm -hmm. woman who sat married I I believe loving her husband, judging Israel. The men didn't want to go to war without her. Mm -hmm. I see it in the life of Anna. You've heard me preach on Anna. Yeah. Beautiful prophetic voice. I see it in the lives of so many of the characters of scripture who in knowing who their God is, have confidence in proclaiming his goodness and his power and his love. And I want this next chapter that I'm living in to be Mm -hmm. the one where I confidently speak of Christ to the once and coming Mm -hmm. King, Mm -hmm. the joy of my heart. So here's Sarah Yardley, and here we see this incarnational model of taking a girl from Orange County, Calvary Chapel, like you said, and then dropping her in the Church of England influenced Cornwall with, you know, a daunting task. And now, you know, you you have such a heart for younger generations, I know. And Creation Fest is you know, one of the larger events that happens, I think, in so far as Christian events, especially anything geared towards young people. So, so how is it now? We have this, uh, this leader, this vibrant leader who just wants everybody to love Jesus. And I want to explain to you just how wonderful he is. What is it that Creation Fest is doing most years? We don't need to reflect on the fact that you weren't able to do it the way you wanted to this year. And you and I agree that's probably going to lead Creation Fest to new and even better things. But, you know, what is it that you want to see happen and, and what is happening through Creation Fest in, in the UK most years? Yeah, so exactly as we've just said, we've zoomed out this year and just asked mm-hmm. the Spirit to give us new creativity. And we really believe that over the, the 20 years of its existence, much of which predated me and I don't take credit for in any sense, that we've become a real catalyst for unity, mm-hmm. for creativity, and for gospel-centered mission. And so this summer, as we prayed about what the shape of 2021 might look like, we really felt compelled to say, as I alluded to earlier, whatever is the maximum that you'll be able to do for the kingdom of God, do that and do that faithfully. And so we've created um a package that we're calling Creation Fest Big Weekend. It's going to mm-hmm. run from the 30th of July through the 1st of August. 
We'll have something in person at the showground in Wade Bridge, but we'll also provide some incredibly high quality, both in actual quality and in content, Mm -hmm. digital teachings that can be live streamed by church hubs around the nation. And the theme we're working around with that is this theme that hope is here. Mm -hmm. And so what we're really wanting to see happen summer of 2021 is that we would encounter Jesus in radical ways during a time of change. And the idea that we're, we're tagging into with that is that we'd be the people of God who encounter Jesus and reimagine mission. Mm-hmm. And rather than looking at our world and saying, oh, we can't, we can't do this, or we won't do that, or here's our places of discouragement, let's linger in those laments. We'd rather that we say, look at it and say, okay, hope is already here in the person of Jesus Christ. How can we be bold and winsome and creative and gentle and visionary as we proclaim the hope of the gospel. And it was really encouraging because today we actually had a call with 10 church leaders. It was my first time pitching it to actual real life church leaders. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the church leaders, she's from Essex. So she's got this fabulous East of Essex accent. And Mm -hmm. she said to me, I hope we'll do what you're you're envisioning for us. I, I don't know if we will, but I hope we will. Mm-hmm. But either way, anyway, just being on this call with you has raised my vision for the hope of proclaiming the gospel. And instead mm-hmm. of sitting in my room, having another Zoom call that goes nowhere and does nothing and where I try to write a COVID policy, mm-hmm. I can feel my hope rising. And mm-hmm. I think what's beautiful about that is that one of my trustees, Gareth Dix, he calls this the STEAM you know, we, we all have our, our projects, our initiatives, like we're on the all things podcast and yeah, yeah, I've got yeah. creation, but like uh, we, mm-hmm. we've got our initiatives, mm-hmm. but sometimes the beautiful thing that God does is like the steam. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be faithful. We're going to pour that hot water and make that cup of tea and that cup of tea will be itself a gift. Mm-hmm. But sometimes the beautiful thing that God does, it's bigger than what we could capture. It's the steam. It's the overflow. And so whether or not people tune into the con content that we produce for summer of 2021, we also believe that the steam, the overflow might be, oh, what would it look like for me to live missionally in my context? What would it look like Mm -hmm. for me to proclaim the hope of Jesus to my neighbors? What would it look like for me to be courageous in proclaiming faith in a season where there's been so much loss and discouragement? Yeah. And what I draw encouragement from, just like uh, that leader on the call who says, I just have a hope for sharing the gospel. And what I draw from you, even in this conversation, as a pastor, as somebody who, you know, leads a ministry and, and has a podcast, obviously I share in your heart for a younger generation. And I, I, I joke with people and say, I have a Twitter, but I prefer to be on Instagram because Twitter, if anybody's listening and you're not on Twitter, it, it tends to be a very negative place. And, um, and so I, I say, I try and I try and spend as much time on Instagram if I'm going to be on social media. But when I hear from the younger generation in and around the church right now, the message of hope is something that they're desiring to hear, I think. And they're not hearing it from some of their older brothers and sisters in Christ. So what, from your perspective, as somebody who does have your feet both in the U.S. and the U.K. and are, are so gifted in speaking to a younger generation, and that's part of your job as well. Um, what is it that people like me and you need to be focusing on if we are desiring to see the next generations of the church and even people who haven't accepted Christ yet? Um, you and I use this word winsome over and over. How do we, we be winsome with these, these younger brothers and sisters uh, in and around the church? Jeremy, thanks for asking great questions. I'm having so much fun with this. (laughs) So in a word, we make good art and Mm. we tell good stories. Wow. And I'll I'll unpack that with a little example. Um, Queen's Gambit played on Netflix. Mm -hmm. And after Queen's Gambit finished playing on Netflix, everyone was playing chess. It was hip to play chess again. Chess sales were up Mm. 350%. A 37-year-old book was a bestseller again. People were traveling with little mini chess sets or learning and challenging and asking their grandparents. And uh, the the parable that we take from that is if you want to change culture, you don't make a new set of rules. You don't tell people all the ways that they have failed. You make good art and you tell good stories. And I think for those of us who are listening, who are leaders, that must come from that deep 
place of intimacy and love. I recently reread um, the beautiful book, Abba's Child by Brennan Manning. Mm -hmm. And there's this story in that book about a young man who is uh, being raised by his parents. He's their only child. And they're like, young man, we want you to love the word of God. So they send him to Torah school and he runs away because he wants to be in the forest and with the trees. And they say, young man, you must love the word of God. You must go to school for 12 hours a day. And he runs away because he wants to explore an adventure. And so one day the chief rabbi comes to town. And they said, okay, the chief rabbi, he'll tell him. He'll tell him that he must love the word of God. And the chief rabbi takes the young man and he holds him close to his heart. And he allows him to hear his heartbeat. Mm -hmm. And from the moment that the boy hears the rabbi's heartbeat, he begins to love the word of God. And so I believe that our invitation as leaders is first and foremost, have we heard the rabbi's heartbeat? Mm -hmm. Like, have we just spent time pressing our hearts and our ears close to Jesus and saying, Rabbi, what is it that your heartbeat is for me and for my town and for my community and for my world? Mm -hmm. And then secondly, the best invitation I can give is to tell the beautiful story of Jesus, the, the one who loves us first and loves us always, mm -hmm. and invite my wondering, wandering, follower, fringes friends to hear the rabbi's heartbeat. So that's so profound. Make good art, tell good stories. What I'm hearing from you as somebody I can relate to is that I often, as a pastor and as a ministry leader, I'm putting on events. I'm trying to convince people to come to things, which is now we're so competitive. We have, we feel like we're competing with our phones, with our social media. And of course um, with the world uh, in the way it is now. So you're saying then that maybe the lights and the smoke machines and things like that. I, I, I feel as if what I hear from you is something I greatly agree with is that we have insulted a younger generation by making it seem as if, if the music is cool, and if it looks really good, then we can trick them into coming and hearing the gospel. What I'm hearing from you is it goes far deeper than that. And, and so I'm sure Creation Fest, I've seen videos, I've seen the speakers and everything, and you guys do such a tremendous job with the content. How do you stay focused personally? And then also from a organizational corporate side to say, we're going to try and make it look good. We're going to make sure it sounds good, but how do we make sure that we are living out the idea of, hey, the gospel is the answer to all the questions. Let's tell that story and let's make our art gospel centric. How do we stay focused on that? It's such a good question. And I'd love to say that I've landed fully on the answer to that. <laughs> right. um, but those are the kinds of questions that we're asking all the time. Mm -hmm. So I'll just say one of the things that's beautiful is that I work with an incredible team of people who also challenge me in this. Mm -hmm. uh, my friend, Jake Isaac, he says it this way, relationships are the currency of the kingdom. So the people I work with, they don't pat me on the back if I come to the table with an idea that's not gospel-centered. Mm -hmm. And we will often fight together, and fight's not even the right word to use. We will challenge one another towards excellence where excellence is important. Mm -hmm. uh, so a very specific example, we've just gotten back our first piece of art for the festival and we haven't agreed on what that's gonna look like. And we went back to the drawing board again this morning because we said we want even the art that we create and put out to be the kind of thing that sparks people's creativity, causes them to zoom in and look more, that even that digital piece tells a story. Mm -hmm. And, and so we're always, and, and I commend my team in this, we're always thinking about what can that look like? But secondly, and, and I think this bleeds into that bigger picture question, I want to create content and, and invite contributors who I know are living personally with the level of excellence that I would see modeled, but also who are thinking already of creative ways to share the gospel and aren't just doing that at an event or because I've got a stage or platform for them. Right. And I think that the era of let's put on a big gathering and go for the crowd emotional feel on so many levels, both theologically and practically, that era is coming to a close. Mm -hmm. And the language that John Tyson has named over it is a creative minority. I alluded to that earlier. I've really appreciated his, his thinking and his work around what does it look like to live in a time when we are the creative minority. And actually what that gives us is this opportunity 
of a blank canvas on which people have a chance to, to see and hear and experience the story of faith in new and radical ways. And so I think the challenge for those of us who are leaders is, how can we step back from the things that have always worked for us, the things that feel safe, the things that our committees approve, the things that if I know if I put it on the table, people are gonna go, yes, that feels safe and normal and ask what is the creative spirit of God doing in this moment? And I'll share one really practical example. It's a small thing, but it's a, it's a big shift. I was recently listening to a friend who wanted to put together a Bible reading group. And so he had invited his friends, come to my Bible reading group, come to my Bible reading group, come to my Bible reading group. And every week he invited his friends to come and none of them came. Mm -hmm. And so he, he began to realize, okay, either people don't like me or people don't like the Bible or people, so, something's wrong here. Right. And so he switched that to, will you join me and have a beer after our sports game? And I'm going to bring pieces of the Bible and we're going to look at them together. Mm -hmm. Now, when he switched that, apologies for anyone listening who is offended by the use of alcohol in the story. Uh, when he they, switched, they, we, We've had Andy Bannister on and, and a lot of others, so don't worry. <laughs> but when he switched that decision, 60% of his sports team started, started showing up and started yeah. engaging with scripture and the conversations and the fruit that came out of just saying, okay, maybe coming to my house to read the Bible is a little bit lot, but if we can meet up in a communal space and over something mm. that people already know they enjoy, ask the deep questions rooted in scripture, literally pieces of scripture printed out to discuss, then suddenly over half of his sports team were joining him. Wow. And I think those kinds of adjustments of just thinking about where are people already at? Is it TikTok? What does it look like to have a gospel presence on TikTok? Right. Where are people already at? Mm -hmm. And then if that's a place that God might have given you a little bit of creativity, a little bit of skill, a little bit of space to say, Jesus is good, meet him with me. Mm -hmm. Then let's look at those spaces where people are already at and be bold and creative in sharing the gospel. That's so encouraging for me personally, because as you know, when you're doing any sort of media content, you sort of kind of, should I even be doing this? Should I even, and Christians, oftentimes we, we struggle to say, if it's not a sacred space, then maybe I shouldn't be there, but that's so encouraging. And I think that uh, creation fest does a phenomenal job. And I think that that's really a, a reflection of how well you do as a, as just an individual taking the sacred into, and it sounds like you have a, a lot of friends who are like-minded as well, that it's, let's go to a pub, let's go to, um, you know, the, the pavement, like before we got on this call, you, you were talking to somebody you had bumped into uh, outside your office. And, um, I'd love to hear your perspective before we finish up though, because I often get asked on this. We've had, I don't, we have, you are like third person who lives in the UK. We've, I've had on this show. We've had a few other people who are international. And sometimes the people here in the States would say, why, why does it, why do you value Sarah Yardley and Justin Brierley and Andy Bannister's voice on the church in America? And my personal opinion is um, history sometimes repeats itself. And I think that the UK oftentimes uh, but just by being older has experienced some things that the American church is maybe just now getting to. So as somebody who grew up in Costa Mesa in Orange County, and now is living your life with Jesus in Cornwall, can you just speak to the American church and say kind of maybe what your encouragement is? Um, and I know that actually you just came home for a little while um, over the holidays to visit family. And I'm sure that that trip was, was eye-opening after the pandemic effects and the election, which uh, was so traumatic for many Americans. Um, so I don't know. I, I just want to give you the opportunity to encourage maybe some listeners who say from somebody who's lived in the UK now for seven years and maybe has a different perspective on some of the things going on. Um, what would you say to the American church, which I know that you still love, even though you're not here actively? Yeah, I am. Um, I'll just approach this and I hope that anyone listening just hears this with genuine humility um, and, and with the desire to be in every sense a peacemaker. But I spent two months in America during the end of 2020 and I was astounded at how polarized the country had become. Mm -hmm. 
and I can't speak for the whole country. I can really only yeah. speak for my lived experience in California, but it just felt like people were polarized around so many things, Everything. masks and vaccines <laughs> and elections and faith journeys and vocabulary and conspiracy yeah. theories. And man, what series you're watching on Netflix, like people, if you could disagree on it, people were disagreeing. And I felt like the division was more distinct than anything I had ever experienced before. And people have, have used this phrase quite often, but it just, I felt like there were echo chambers. Yeah. So just all the echo chambers of here are the people who agree with me. They're the only ones I'll listen to. And I've really been deeply convicted during my six years in the UK that this prayer that John, that Jesus prayed in John 17, 21, that, that he meant to this prayer. And his prayer was that they, that my church might all be one, mm -hmm. just as you father are in me and I am in you, that you, that they may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Mm -hmm. And if the prayer of Jesus is that we would walk in unity so that our watching world might believe, mm -hmm. which feels like a fairly serious and significant prayer, I've seen the opposite of that modeled. And I think that unity often links to our mission, which links to our personal holiness, which links to the invitation for people to know and love Jesus. Like all of these things are interlinked together. Mm -hmm. And so I think that one of the questions and I've asked this one publicly, but I'll, I'll just say it here is where can I be the one who lowers my defenses is willing to listen to other perspectives and to choose love. And how can I be the person who does this in the name of Jesus for the sake of the world? And so winsomely to my fellow followers of Jesus, wherever it is that we're at, I think I would just say, how can I lower my defenses? How can I listen to other perspectives and then choose love, choose love, choose to believe the best because this is the prayer of Jesus for us, his church. Well, Sarah, you, you, in my opinion, um, are a tremendous example of that. And I know you likely feel like there's many times where you're not because you see your behind the scenes and I see your, your Instagram, but, um, you know, I, I do think that you are a tremendous example for Christians in the US and the UK and, and, and all around the world. And so I'm excited to see how Creation Fest continues to grow and continues to change as most of our ministries are changing. And I do think that it's going to only grow in its influence. And so I'm so thankful for your time. I'm so thankful for your wisdom and your heart. And, uh, and just, I pray and, and, and I expect the listeners to have really, really benefited from what you shared with me today. And so thank you so much for being a part of the show. It's been a great joy. Thank you so much for having me.